0: Thanks for tuning in to Voices in DevOps. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out John's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com, where he covers all things DevOps, data, and strategy, addressing many of the topics covered in Voices in DevOps. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Voices in DevOps, where I'm here to speak to David Torgerson. I hope I pronounced your name right there, David. You absolutely did. Thank you. Excellent. Oh, good. Good. Uh, it's ah that first first hump I've got over there. So, so I'm here to speak to David Torgerson, who's director of DevOps at Lucid Software, um, all about the challenges and opportunities and uh, and what we can do about it with DevOps. But I know that David, you've got a a much broader background than than just the the current company you're working for. So, so maybe you could give us a bit of an intro to to who you are and 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 what brought you to this point. Um, that we're here talking about DevOps.
1: Absolutely. And thank you for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. So I actually started my career in security and I was working for a Fortune 500 company. It was uh, very slow changes. And I spent a lot of time just building my career and deciding what I wanted to do. From there, I switched companies and went to another Fortune 500 company or or similar sized uh, in the nonprofit world and spent half of my career in security working Mm -hmm. on developing policy pen tests and really everything related to
0: security whether it was logical or physical you just said pen tests there i've got to interrupt because that's the most boring thing ever isn't it it's like completeness (laughs) and coverage and dull It sounds really amazing until you actually do it. And then it's 90%
1: (laughs) paperwork and 10% fun. Uh, And I actually decided that I did not like paperwork, nor was I good at it. So I decided to switch and move more to the infrastructure side of things. Um, I had seen how, especially in enterprises, the infrastructure side of things and the application side of things tend to move really slow and there was a lack of communication and I actually really like communicating with people. So it seemed like a great fit and I had the technical background. So I decided to switch more to the infrastructure side of things to help push along and marry security application
0: development and the infrastructure changes that were happening. And after That's a good few- OpsiOps then, sort of ITLE kind of change management, configuration management- stuff absolutely absolutely and uh the, the organization <laughs> i was working at which was it's out of the frame but so that was really interesting about security but it's still you're still thinking there must be more than this. I don't know. <laughs> there,
1: there absolutely was. And the organization that I was working with was called Family Search. They um, had never really had anybody that had tried to bridge the gap of those three worlds: security, infrastructure, and application development. And what that resulted with was a lot of animosity between the teams, just because everybody wanted to hold on to their own kingdom. They didn't want outside influence. There was no incentive to collaborate um and as a result things simply moved slower i i received a reputation of being the guy who could get things done and all i did was talk to people there wasn't i didn't actually do any work i just interrupted work is what i thought uh by talking about the latest tv shows or or things like that but uh because of that communication gap that had been bridged um I, I received that reputation, which was great for me, and it, it boosted my career, uh, but it wasn't nearly as complicated to get things done as people made it seem to sound.
0: Did, so did you turn into, I'm going to say that guy, but I don't mean that guy. I mean, that guy who said, oh, well, we, we can't make this work. Hey, let's talk to David. David will sort it out. Did you, did you turn into the sorted out guy?
1: I, I did and just a little brag on myself so when i was leaving the organization the ceo saw me in the hall and he came up and said if you ever want to come back let me know we'll have a position whatever you want to do um, two months later i actually saw him at a conference uh, a very well large um, technical conference and he stopped me in the hall and he said listen for real if you want to come back today let me know let me know your salary uh, you were my most trusted engineer, um, things like that. So just glowing praise. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. And of course, you said no because um, you're doing more interesting things.
1: Yeah, lucid. Lucid is just a way awesome place. It, it's the best place I've ever worked. So uh, it would be incredibly hard to leave just
0: because it's mine. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, so. Um, with all that exposure, I'm really interested because essentially um, uh, I'll, I'll just say things as I kind of perceived uh, how DevOps can evolve in a lot of organizations. And I, I spoke to other people, I spoke to Andy Mann from uh, Splunk about this stuff as well. A lot of DevOps is seen as dev ops. Uh, where yep. it's kind of, and when they talk about the wall of confusion, it's developers saying, well, ops don't understand us, but we can communicate with them better. So it's still an us thing and a, a them thing and the communication yep. is that one way, whereas what you're talking about is coming at it from the operational, the infrastructure side, and actually communicating with them developers over there. I mean, is that how, how you saw it? Yeah,
1: it, it's really interesting, and that's a great question. In fact, I've been interviewing candidates recently, and this is a conversation that we have during every one of the interviews because it's something that I think is incredibly important, is being able to bridge that communication gap. So, even though the goal is to have DevOps and have no animosity between the teams collaboration, the truth of the matter is that the responsibilities are slightly different, um, inf- actually, significantly different. Infrastructure requires a skill set that is not common among developers. Um, infrastructure management is lacking a skill set that is common among developers, which is coding. Um, so, there, there absolutely are, continu- and there will continue to be specialties. In different fields, simply because there are different responsibilities and uh, the the important thing is that the two groups can understand and communicate with each other. so when I interview for an SRE or a DevOps infrastructure position that 's focused more on infrastructure side, um, we actually put them through a coding experience and We don't have expectation that they're going to be able to write algorithms or that they're going to be able to design object oriented architecture. What's important is that they can ask enough questions of the developers that are in the room to come up with a working solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we we don't necessarily have to everybody have the exact same skill set. In fact, um, the lack of diversity would be detrimental. But what we do expect is that there's a common respect and that the ability to communicate and understand difficult problems, even if you're not the domain expert, is, is one of the fundamental skills.
0: So funnily enough, uh, uh, as a complete aside, I was just talking to my daughter at lunchtime and she said, uh, there's this guy who's now the CTO of the company that she's working for. And she said, but he had a music degree. Uh, and actually, the fact he had no technical background whatsoever and then he just learned to code uh stood him in really good and, and then he liked the coding but he didn't come to it with this kind of you know siloed uh um, blinkered approach to to what um programming was about he, he had a very different aspect uh, and also i'm just thinking that, that there are different i mean we talk about infrastructure people but mm-hmm. you know and i know uh, i guess i guess everyone knows that there are infrastructure people that spend their lives l- scripting, you know, the Unix background is, is very much about uh, piping stuff through and, and different sheet, shell scripts and so on, then PowerShell in the Windows environment arrived. Um, but that's less, it's traditionally less of a scripting environment or of a kind of drag and drop environment. And then you've got other environments, which are kind of the big, uh, the big heavy lifting environments, which had nothing to do with any of that. Uh, they're about letting the systems do what the systems do well. So, right. Uh, there's no one t- – so we've got to get all of these different types of groups kind of uh, engaging with the notion of what development is, presumably. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, just um, – there's the context, and, and we're kind of moving on to – I mean, you've already talked about communication. You've already talked about uh, the need for those different skill sets, etc. So with all that in mind – and the answer could be communication, uh, but it, it could also be uh, – other aspects of what we talked about or something else. How would you frame uh, your experience when you look at uh, applying DevOps principles and actually making them work? What would you see as the, the, the big things that are getting in the way of that now in in the kinds of organizations that you know and have worked with? Uh,
1: so honestly, it is the, um, the pipe dream. So you, you talked about DevOps being uh, this magical land where everybody sleeps at night all the time and there's no weekend work, no after hours work. Uh, the, the reality is it's a, it's a constant struggle. And the biggest thing that I see negatively impacting DevOps is the desire to get to that magical land. Uh, instead of recognizing the reality that uh, things are going to go wrong. Uh, unconscious bias is an actual issue that people have to consciously overcome. Uh For example, one of the things that I see a common mistake, especially around SaaS organizations, is to not have um, any sort of specialty positions. Let's just hire developers and have developers fill all positions. So uh, developers typically have gone to a school, they've typically done quite well in the school, uh, and they're incredibly smart. They're capable of learning how to be a database administrator or to scale back-end code. But the challenge in that model is that developers went to school to become a developer. So while they may become uh, capable and, and in fact one of the leading uh, database administrators, um, eventually they're going to have a desire to get back to their roots, to get back to development. And they will transition from focusing on database and database design back into a full front end developer, which, while that's incredibly valuable to the organization to have that skill set move back to the general development pool, what it leaves is a gap in the knowledge for leading one of the core components of the actual application. So there, there has to be a balance between those who have specialty knowledge and those who are generalists. The generalists absolutely can and should move around the organization, but there have to be those staple positions to help bring consistency through the organization. So the biggest challenge that I see with DevOps today is that we've swung the pendulum too far to where we are just saying everybody should be a generalist. Um, and again, that that just leads to
0: gaps in core knowledge bases. That, that's brilliant. So there's, um there's a factor within that which i'm going to hypothesize about so bear with me it and it what it leads to is this whole everything is code notion so mm-hmm. um, th- there's something that we have a, a we have a cognitive ab- ability uh, so if you're a, if you're a policeman if you're a cop you see everything from the through the 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 eyes of what a police was so you know they were walking down the street at, th- at 3 miles an hour and then etc uh, etc cetera, et cetera. um <laughs> And, uh, and, and similarly, if you're a developer, you see everything. Everything can be programmed, um, which is fine. And that's absolutely true. But equally, then, the language changes, the philosophy of how you approach things and structure things. And I know, um, I had, years ago, I had a, a debate um, with uh, a good friend, and analyst, uh, uh, Neil Ward-Dutton, uh, about the difference between DBAs and developers. But where we ended up was that both are the same, but it's a bit like, uh, is it a wave or a particle? So developers see that, that the world in terms of waves, and DBAs see the world in terms of particles, and they're the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But you do need to have different ways of looking at it, if, if, if you like. So so long and long the short is, if we end up with a whole bunch of generalists, we're also ending up with a whole bunch of people that see the world from a, a process perspective, from a programming perspective. And actually, we also need people that see the world from different perspectives because those perspectives help us solve problems in different ways. There you go. That's my hypothesis. What do you think? What do you think? Absolutely. (laughs) I I
1: completely agree. And I also think it's important that, getting back to the communication, that um, each generalist or specialist can represent the world from a different view. Even if they're doing it poorly, it's important that they're capable of at least understanding the hypothesis hypothesis of the opposing environment. Mm
0: So, if that's the case, so we, we've got a we've got a two phase thing what the first is enable people to get very good at the specifics of what they do. the mm-hmm. second thing is then enable those groups to uh communicate with each other um and uh because i, I think the first thing is also if if you apply it too much, you end up with the old siloed environments that that we've traditionally seen. So security people over in their lobbies um, doing security and hating everyone because they keep breaking things, etc. Which is which is wrong as well. Uh, but you're, what you're saying is the pendulum swung too far the other way. And how how does that then? I mean, what, what what's the answer? It, it, is the answer uh, literally, as you say, just to, to start talking about game shows and uh, um, um, have shared shared pack lunches, or how have you? Is is it a staged approach? Um, what, what would you apply as a solution to that? Uh,
1: so, unfortunately, this is where the answer gets complicated. There's not one solution that you can apply. Uh, people are different; they respond to different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I have worked with people that absolutely love going to lunch every day. Um, I have worked with other people that absolutely hate talking to people um, just because they're incredibly uncomfortable doing so. We are in that Uh, industry, aren't we? (laughs) We absolutely are. Uh, So it's important to find a balance, but not cater to any one type of person. Um, Again, the diversity in the environment is what really drives the innovation. If you can get different minds in the same room uh, communicating, it's, it's, incredible what what can happen. So just a really quick example. We went through an exercise where we wanted to move to continuous deployment a few years ago. And we had gathered the information and several of us went into a larger group to present the plan of saying, we want to get to continuous deployment. Here are the reasons why, here's the benefits, here's the risks. And within five minutes, the entire room was yelling at each other. And that's not an exaggeration. There was 20 people in the room all having 10 different arguments. Uh, So after 15 minutes, we decided to stop and we wanted to answer two questions, define continuous deployment, define continuous integration. Just come up with a one sentence definition, everybody come back. We're going to adopt two statements. Uh, so we, we came back and scheduled an hour long meeting to literally just adopt two sentences. What does continuous deployment mean? What does continuous delivery mean? And once we had those base definitions, we were able to have a productive meeting. But going back to people see the world through different views, um, continuous deployment was a term that meant something different to everybody. So even though we all thought we were talking about the same thing, we, we absolutely weren't. So one of the things that we, have learned from that experience is the importance of having definitions. Now, when we're proposing application changes or infrastructure changes or even changes to the organization, we always come up with a proposal, a document proposal in writing that everybody has the opportunity to review. And if they disagree with the definition, they're able to adjust that. And again, going back to the communication, I know I keep harping on this, but for me, that's what I see the true success in uh, tearing down those communication gaps and tearing down the animosity is simply having a common ground of terms that everybody accepts because that's a building block. Even though we're speaking different languages, we have a building block that we all
0: uh, generally or genuinely and generally understand. Oh man, there's so much in that. Um, I, I said this podcast should be 20 30 minutes we could literally spend 5 hours now I'm sorry you you you've broken it uh, but but the whole uh, it takes me back to a conversation I was having with a, a, a an oil company um, they said they can't even define um, oh, it was it was it was um it was one of the uh, Wherever you get oil from, whatever that term is, no one could agree what that term was. And it was an enterprise architect, and he said, "If I don't, if we can't even define what it is that where it is we're getting oil from, what chance do we stand with any other word? Because that's what we do as a business." Um, But I, I think that the the thing that I'm unpacking in my head as you're saying it is we all use the term DevOps. We all use terms like CICD, et cetera, et cetera. And in some ways, those are the most boring ones. We're already moving on to value stream management, to uh, uh, something uh, as code or you know, um, whatever, containers, Kubernetes, et cetera, as though we've already agreed those basics. And what you're saying is just uh, forget, forget assuming that we've agreed any of those basics, just go right back to the room. What do we mean by that? And people might go, oh man, what do you, yeah, we don't have to talk about this stuff. And you go, okay, you give me your definition and then we'll see, where we, see how we get. And if, if everyone does agree, it's 10 minutes.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right.
0: And uh, so t- take, taking that forward then, um, I'm kind of thinking that that was the most r- profound thing. We're kind of done. <laughs> So nice to speak to you then. That was great. Thanks. That was David. yeah. See you next yeah. time. Uh, I mean, but where, where do you, where do you end up with that? I mean, because we don't want to end up with this. The whole point of agile and uh, um, all that stuff is you don't end up with these huge Zachman framework style complexity of uh, you know data dictionaries and, and and so on and so forth. So how do you make sure that you don't kind of get locked into a uh, the old school way of, that you keep the keep the new, without making it all look awfully like the old. I guess is the question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I joined with Lucid, sorry, after leaving Family Search, I joined Lucid. That, that was going back to your original question and finishing yeah. that story. I went from Family Search to Lucid. Uh, when I joined Lucid, I was hired on as the first DevOps guy at Lucid. In fact, I kept that as my official job title as long as people ops let me. Uh, and it wasn't until recently that they wanted me to actually have a real title. Mm -hmm. I I know. I I like my first title more. But when I joined, there was 23 people in the office. Now there's over 500. Uh, When I joined, we had a couple of million users worldwide. Now it's over 20 million. Um, The growth that Lucid has experienced in the time that I've been here has just been remarkable. But one of the awesome things that... And one of the reasons that I really like Lucid is I've been able to help build it from the ground up. When I walked in, I was the DevOps, and I was security, and I was IT, and uh, if it wasn't actually writing code that users used or selling uh, to our customers, that, that was the scope that I had. And I had worked in environments that um, simply did not work well together. There was tons of animosity. There was, um, and the animosity led to things just being incredibly slow. Uh, Tasks that should take less than an hour would take weeks or months. Um, In one case, over six months, just to get a server turned on because of all of these arbitrary roadblocks. Uh, When I came to Lucid, I did not want to create that environment, especially since we had a blank slate. So one of the first things that we did was try to think outside of the box. How can we make sure that um, there's never going to be a silo where somebody can run off on their own and be isolated and put up a barrier to um, simply have email in, email out or ticket in, ticket out? Mm -hmm. Um, So, one of the first things that we did was make sure that the actual development organization participates in our on-call rotation. Now, some developers really like that, and others really, really don't. If a developer is adamant that they do not want to participate, that is okay. There's a place for them. Uh, It's just not in the DevOps place. Right. Uh, (laughs) and, And that doesn't mean that we let them go. That just means that we find something that's more catered to their... It can't be a magic lens. That's right, they can't be an active position. But our our operations team or the people that are getting the first-line notifications are actually comprised of our developers. Now, one of the benefits to that is because we have so many developers that participate in that rotation, each um, on-call rotation is about every four months. Um, Nobody gets burnt out from having to do something once every four months. Uh, so, not only do we have now a very large pool of people to be on call, uh, the amount of ownership that those individuals feel about the production system and other environments is really significant. They're the ones that are actually fixing the system. They're the ones that are taking those notifications. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Another thing that we did is we set a limit to the maximum number of alerts that we get in a given week, and if we ever go above that, we have um, authorization from the executive team down to drop everything and work on addressing those issues to make sure that our operations and our infrastructure and database and all of these other specialty positions have a really happy work-life balance. Nobody likes getting woken up in the middle of the night, and nobody likes being interrupted even during the middle of the day. So if we address those issues that everybody, again, going back to a common ground, uh, that's something that everybody can agree on is getting an alert sucks. Um, And and we've defined that, getting an alert sucks. Uh, It builds camaraderie. There's a sense of we are all working on this problem together. And what we found is that when we do go into meetings to talk about infrastructure changes or application changes to support the infrastructure, um, there's that common language that is already established simply because of how the on-call rotation works. Now, whether or not that scales to 10,000 users or 10,000 employees, we'll, we'll see, but uh, it has worked incredibly well from start to where we are now.
0: Uh, and there's a question of, uh, would you need 10,000 users? A, a lot of big teams are big because they couldn't do it with a small team. Does that make sense? It's, yep. It's called man month mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and I'm fascinated by that because, again, but going back to the uh, wall of confusion uh, and developers kind of feeling we are now communicating with ops, our work is done. What mm-hmm. you're actually doing is taking developers to the other side of the wall and saying, and you're not rubbing their noses in it, uh, but you kind of are. So yeah, let's, let's not, it's not let's see how you get on. It's this is how it actually happens. And then suddenly when you do that, and as, as you know and as I know, we've both worked on that other side of the, the divide, it really changes how you think about prioritization. It changes, uh, and to your point, about stopping everything in order to get something fixed because you know how important it is to get that fixed before you carry on, isn't it? Otherwise, you're just building up more. Uh, problems to be solved. There's no, there's no point. You're not being more efficient.
1: That's absolutely right. So on the infrastructure side, one of the primary goals or one of the primary things that their performance review is based around is how successful are they making the developers productive? So not how well is the infrastructure working, how productive are the developers able to be because of the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, On the developer side, it's how stable is the production system. So even though um, in a traditional environment, you would think that operations owns the production system and developers own the code, while the developers write the code and the infrastructure team actually pays for and manages the infrastructure system, what they're rated on is how successful are the developers at their job. And the developers are rated on how, how stable is the production system and how happy are the end users, um, which, again, encourages that cross support
0: between the groups. Excellent. I, question, for, question for you. Um, which uh, feel free to talk more about that stuff and it, it but it, wrapping around that is uh, the whole notion of automation so um obviously we we talk about automation helping make the, the developments more efficient we also talk about automation uh in a way or, or i've certainly heard it talked about in that kind of no ops you don't need operations anymore you can automate everything and it all just dynamically dynamically works uh how do you perceive the realities of automation across the, across the two sides and, and actually, you know, enabling, enabling the two sides?
1: Uh, so the thing that I have seen the biggest detriment to that is fear that that is going to compromise anybody's job, um, if they i've talked with so many people that are scared that automation is going to get rid of their job uh and i think that is incredibly foolish if you're if those tasks are automated that means that you can spend more time doing things that you actually enjoy like research or improvement uh at lucid we try to automate everything um and that's one place that the developers typically significantly outshine uh, people with the more traditional infrastructure background. Uh, so our infrastructure team has actually been tasked with enabling developers to automate the infrastructure. So provide the tools, provide the mechanisms for the application to automatically scale. Why are we doing this manually? Um, there are triggers. There's things that we can monitor that can automatically do that for us. Let's do it. So. Automation is absolutely key. It's absolutely important. It just makes that's a place where you can actually get to a magical land and it is glorious.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and interestingly, to link back to uh, what where we started on this, it was uh, you moving through a series of, uh, uh, well, I added the le- level of boredom. So, so, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I was feeding you a line there. Uh, but It does, automation from that point of view, does remove the the boring stuff first, obviously, because the the harder it is to automate, the more interesting it is anyway, and the more it needs that manual intervention. I I don't know why anyone should be scared of removing the stuff that's really, really dull uh, from their lives.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, and the reality is, if you can automate it, it's reproducible. Uh, If something is incredibly difficult, if it's going to take weeks to do once manually, that should probably be a good indication that it needs to be automated. Because mm-hmm. if there ever is a failure, it's going
0: to be weeks before you can replace it. Oh, boy. Yeah, ab- absolutely right. OK, good. I think we should wrap up there. I think that's OK. We, we talked about uh, um, the overall. Uh, complexity and uh uh, seeing it from the operational point of view rather than seeing it from the development point of view we talked about the whole importance of having definitions in place and then uh taking uh developers and uh, i mean what i've really taken out of this is is how to opsify the whole devops uh scenario and then you can start to apply uh, automation to it without taking away from the fact that we, we we're always going to need people my goodness aren't we always going to need people are there any kind of last thoughts that you have that you just want to leave people with um don't do that do this kind of stuff i
1: honestly devops is not a technical problem that's the takeaway it okay. is a communication problem
0: so it all starts middles and ends with communication and uh well thank you very much david uh, for your time and uh, i once again have learned a whole new perspective on this so 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 th- i i thank you from the bottom of my heart and uh, i hope our, our listeners have enjoyed that as well uh, everyone out there thank you for listening and uh, do tune in next time but uh, david thank you very much thank you this was fun if you enjoyed this episode of voices in devops please check out the other ones scaling devops for the enterprise is the focus of a recent report john wrote for gigaom research to find out more about how digital transformation is evolving, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOm Research for future forward advice on IT operations and business strategies.